Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's unspeakable joy and full of glory. Amen. You may be seated if you can. Thank God for that unspeakable joy. Do you remember the day that that joy entered your soul? Yes. When you got saved, you gave your heart to Jesus, and that joy just flooded your soul, your entire being. You couldn't explain it. It was unspeakable. That's the whole point. It's unspeakable, indescribable joy when you pass from death to life, from darkness to light. Hallelujah. Well, thank God we can read the Word of God and find out what it's all about. And it's all about something good, some good and great mighty things that we have on the inside of us because of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Anybody need a copy of the notes? Kindly raise your hand. Anyone at all? Then let us pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word together tonight. We thank you that your word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we believe it will pierce our hearts and change our lives as your spirit moves upon our hearts and changes us from glory to glory to conform to the very image of Jesus and become that for which he has apprehended each and every one of us. And Father, we thank you that we will go forth and shine as lights in a world of darkness and hold forth the word of life to this generation that you've called us to, that we might lead them to your saving grace. Be glorified, Father, in all that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're talking about spiritual warfare. This is lesson number two. And if you recall, when Jesus came into the world as the light of the world, what happened to him? The darkness immediately attacked him. Did it not? One to kill him, snuff him out at an early age. He had to flee into Egypt. Why? Because of the realm of darkness. And so just a quick review of some of the things that we talked about last week to get, get us up to date if you weren't here before. There is, number one, an invisible world. We don't see beyond this realm, but there is an invisible world. And if he were to remove the curtain that separates the two, we could see all kinds of activity taking place in the realm of the spirit, whether they be angelic beings or demonic forces and influences that are out there. So there's an unseen realm that made the seen realm that we live in. Secondly, we're all of us involved in a spiritual warfare, no matter who we are. Whether we re- realize it or not or recognize it or not, every day when we get up, we are engaged and involved in a spiritual warfare. And it's up to us to be informed about that and know about that and do our part, praise God, to rise up victorious over every adversary. Thirdly, our spiritual eyes need to be open to see those things. Not just the fact that there's demonic influences and forces that are out there against us, but also there's more to be with us than to be with them. We've got angelic beings, praise God, all around us. Thank God for your angel. Scoot over. I think you're sitting on one, one of you over there just sitting on your angel there. We've got angels that are here tonight assisting us, praise God, loose to minister for us because we're all the heirs of salvation. And when people truly from the heart worship God, I believe they engage in that worship with us. But we know that they're here, praise God. And next, believers have authority over all the powers of darkness. Jesus gave us the right to use his name, the power of attorney, against all the powers of uh, of darkness. And then also the enemy, believe it or not, does not like you. And is out to destroy every single one of us. You need to be aware of that every single day. Because if you're aware of that, then you make provision for that. 
for your success. And then also we said the, the mind is the battlefield. It's where it all takes place, right between the ears. Started with Eve in the garden. We know that. And he has not changed his MO. He operates the same way in our lives. He'll try to put thoughts in our head and so on and so forth. We need to be aware of that. We're not to give any entry points to the devil. No place of operation. Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. So in other words, if we don't control our emotions and let them become uncontrolled, the enemy takes advantage of that and has a, an entranceway into a person's life. So we don't want that. We don't want to give any place to the enemy, correct? Keep him on the outside. They don't, don't give him any place. Also, Satan has a game plan. He has a game plan. He strategizes. He's got emissaries that work with him to strategize. And in some cases knows probably your every move, knows exactly what's going on. Uh, he knows your pressure points. He knows how to put pressure on you to get you to act the way he wants you to act. He knows entry points and that sort of thing. And so it's important that we understand that. We're aware of that so we don't give any place to him. Also, we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Thank God. This is how we should view it. We shouldn't be afraid of it. It's out there, praise God. But greater is he who is in us than he that is in this world. Right? So we shouldn't fear it. We shouldn't be afraid of it. And our not being intimidated by the enemy is a sure sign of his defeat. And he knows that. He quakes at that. Now, as we continue our study in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, look at verse 10 and 11. Let's read those two verses first. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word able just means to be sufficient in resources, power, and strength to do what? Stand against the wiles or the strategies, the plots and plans of the devil. Once again, he has plots and plans that he uses to try to strategize against our lives and send those thoughts our way to destroy us. But notice what he says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He doesn't say strengthen yourself, be strong in your own power, your own might, your own ability. You're no match for the forces of darkness that are out there and neither am I. But we're not to be strong in ourselves, we're to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. He has given each and every one of us an impartation of his mighty power and glory so that you and I can stand firm against all the wiles of the enemy that he hurls our way in life. And of course, how do they come? Fiery darts in our heads. All right, look in the book of Psalm chapter 20 and verses 7 and 8. We need the power of God to stand against these wiles of the devil, the strategies to come against us. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. What's the result? They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. So, if you look at it logically, what's stronger? A name or chariots and horses? In the natural, when you live life in the natural, you might think, well, I need to enlist all these uh, men and all these horses and chariots that I can use to fight against the enemy. What's a name against the enemy? Well, when that name is Jesus, it's a whole lot greater and stronger, more powerful than any horse or chariot or any soldier that's out there. So we want to trust not in ourselves, not in human flesh, not in military forces or powers, but in this name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus. And we can draw from the power and strength of that name 
as we tap into it by faith and do what? Destroy the works of the enemy. Look at the next two verses. 12 and 13. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now you look at that and you might think, oh my goodness. Look at all this that's out there ranged against us. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able. Notice once again, it's God's armor. It's his power. It's his strength. It's his ability that you may be able, qualified, equipped, strengthened in order to do what? Stand, withstand an evil day. And having done all to stand, do what? Stand. When you're involved in warfare, it's important to assess the strategy of the enemy, to find out where they're coming from. We see this in sports. You'll notice that whenever you interview some of the players on a team like a quarterback in football or someone like that, they say, we sat in the film room all day long, all week long, to find out exactly what they do, where their strength is or where their weaknesses are. And we strategize and we come up with a game plan that we knew they were vulnerable to. Maybe we couldn't beat them on paper, but we could certainly out-strategize them. And so even though they may not have been the better team, they won the game because they used their head to strategize. We also must understand how the enemy operates and how he works. If not, we could be at a disadvantage. Now, we first of all, think about the objectives of the enemy. What's he come to do? Steal, kill, and destroy. What else does he do? He blinds people's minds from coming to Christ. He keeps people from coming to saving grace. Isn't that what, what we're told in first, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 4? Absolutely. So that's another objective that he has. And then also, if you become a believer, what's another objective? To keep us from being effective in serving the Lord. It's exactly what he wants to do. So if he can't still kill and destroy, if he can't keep you from coming to Christ, he'll certainly want to keep you from walking with God and serving God faithfully and fulfilling the life mission that he's called us all to. That's exactly what he'll try to do. Another thing important about the enemy is to know this. There's a difference between flesh and evil spirits. Flesh must be crucified. Evil spirits must be cast out. Flesh cannot be cast out. Evil spirits cannot be crucified. Oh my. <laughs> now think about that for a while. Evil spirits got to be cast out. They can't be crucified. Flesh must be crucified, cannot be cast out. I can see people casting out flesh, casting out calories, casting out everything that you can think of. But it's a work of the flesh, and the work of the flesh must be crucified and not cast out. It'd be nice if you could cast it out, but it can't be cast out. That means it has to be dealt with by faith. Paul said, I work with my flesh, I got to keep it under. I have to beat it silly so I don't let it have its way. And that's part of our Christian walk, and the enemy knows it. So he'll put pressure on the flesh. Why? Because he wants to have his way. Now, it's also true that there are certain activities of evil spirits that they try to get us to get involved in. And what will they do? They will entice us to enter into sin. Remember James talked about you're enticed when your flesh is put under pressure to do certain things. For example, like when you're a young person and you're growing up and something just tells you, go take that pack of bubble gum. 
from the drugstore entices a person to do something like that. It appeals to the flesh. Now, if it's a boy, it's just to get away with it. Didn't really want the gum, just wanted to see if he can get away with it. But the enemy will use, these are his tactics, these are his strategies, enticement. And then also, he'll use harassment. He'll try to harass you to have his way, to get you to become vulnerable and to act the way he wants you to act. For example, maybe you've had a difficult day. Anybody ever have a difficult day? Maybe you had a difficult day. And it's seemingly things are not going your way. It started when you got up in the morning and you stepped on something to hurt your foot. And then you try to shave and you nicked yourself. Then you got in your car and it wouldn't start. You finally got your jump and you went on to, to work and you got to work. You found out you fought, forgot to change your clock and you're too early. I mean, and it's just going on and on and on and on. Now, sometimes it's just a natural thing. But, you know, sometimes the enemy will harass people and set up things. Why? To get them to get angry. When you finally get done with all that day and all that activity that's going on throughout the day, you get home and you explode with your family. A spirit of anger kind of takes over. See, he'll harass people. Now, you can't crucify that. You've got to cast that. You've got to recognize and just take authority of it over it instead of allowing yourself to be overcome and overwhelmed by it. There is a word of darkness that's out there. There are demonic influences that are out there that are trying to get people to do what they want to do. Why? Because I believe they used to live in bodies and they want your body so they can have expression in the earth. Notice, God didn't give us the spirit of fear, right? There's an angry spirit also. I mean, and the list goes on and on. We have to be aware of the fact that the enemy is out there and he is coming against us with his strategies to try to destroy our lives and prevent us from serving God effectively. Now, it's also true that he'll torment. An enemy, the enemy, the demonic forces that are out there will use torment, tormenting a person spiritually. Sometimes there are these spirits that will try to get you to believe that God doesn't really love you. How many times have you heard those thoughts? God doesn't really care about you. God doesn't really love you. If God loved you, if God cared about you, then da, 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 da. Really? And he'll torment people spiritually to make them think that. Why? Because he wants to deflate them, to control them. See, the truth of the matter is God loves you. Isn't that hard for people to believe, even though he sent his son to die on a cross? There's nothing more he can do. He completely poured out his love unto death for all humanity and still the majority of people feel as though that God doesn't really love them and make them feel like as though they're worthless. He'll also torment people emotionally. Emotionally, for example, someone hurt your feel-bads today? Anybody hurt your feel-bads? And you got so upset because they hurt your feel-bads that you now are angry with them and you do not want to forgive them. And he'll come along, sit on your shoulder and just say, I can't believe they really did that to you. If I were you, I would never forgive them ever, 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 ever forgive them at all. And if you fall victim to it, there you are listening to all that and say, I just can't forgive them. I've talked to people. I just can't forgive them. You have no idea what they did to me. I can't forgive them. I just can't forget. No matter what you say, I can't forgive them. Guess who you'll be turned over to if you don't forgive them? The what? Tormentors. Tormenting. They'll torment you. So emotionally as well, then physically, to torment people physically. Read your Bible. What do you discover? The woman that was bowed over was tormented by the devil. 
Jesus healed all that were, what? Oppressed of the devil. So the enemy will use torment and try to torment people and make them think things that are ex they're experiencing in their lives really are orchestrated by God when they're really not. And then also, uh, what about he'll compel people to do things. To compel means to use force. You've heard it said that the Holy Ghost will nudge you, maybe, you know, and, and try to prod us to do the right thing. A witness of the Spirit, a leading, a gentle leading and guiding. But the enemy will be all over you. Go ahead and do it. 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 Remember David was talking about how I'm going to hold my peace. I'm going to hold my tongue. I'm not going to say a word. I'm not going to say a word. And there he said, there I was, but I was musing. I mean to tell you, he was doing a slow burn. And I'm sure there was a voice behind him just saying, go ahead and let go. Go ahead and let go. Go ahead and let go. Go ahead. Like pushy. The devil is pushy. The Holy Spirit will lead us, but he will push us, compel us to do something that he wants us to do. We need to recognize this is the work of the enemy. These are demonic influences and forces that are out there that are trying to get their way in our lives. And you know what the ultimate thing is? To tarnish our testimony and ruin our witness. If you're on the job, somewhere where you work, you're trying to witness to people and you act out of sorts, so to speak, they're going to look at you and just say, you're no different than anybody else in this place. And you want me to have the God that you serve? Remember, he's always trying to get us to ruin our witness and tarnish our testimony so he can make us ineffective in our service for the Lord. And then also, what about this one? He'll enslave people. He'll enslave people. And he'll use entrapments to do so. People are enslaved by alcohol. They become alcoholics. And alcoholism is an enslaving thing. And there are spiritual forces behind it. Those that are engaged in pornography, once again, enslaved by it. Why? Because they're unclean spirits that are just humming around. Now, if you're a Christian, he's, that spirit's not living in your spirit, but that, Christ, that, that spirit is sitting on your shoulders trying to get you to do what he wants you to do or what it wants you to do. And so it's important we recognize that. And there's other things that the enemy will use. Deceit. He'll deceive people. He'll get people to be defiled. But let's go on back in our notes there. Look at uh, number 14, uh, verse 14. We have a spiritual enemy. We need spiritual powers. You know, because we're facing a spiritual enemy, we can't fight spiritual battles with natural carnal weapons. So stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. This is the first part of that verse. Verse 14, part A. The loins girt about with truth. This is what holds all of the armor together. And it's a twofold meaning. Number one, we need to know the truth. Remember what Jesus said in John 8, 32? Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We shall know the truth. We've got to become intimately, personally acquainted with the truth. This is a spiritual weapon we use against the enemy. We must know it. And then also, secondly, we must be a doer of it, or we must walk in the truth. Remember 3 John 3. Everybody knows 3 John 2. But what about 3 John 3? Look at what verse 3 says. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. To walk means the way we behave, the way we act, our conduct, how we carry ourselves. So number one, when he's talking about the belt of truth that holds everything together, and remember whose armor it is. It's the armor of God. It's not our armor. It holds everything in place 
Number one, we need to know it intimately and be a part of it. And then number two, we need to walk in it. So it's one thing to know it. It's another thing to walk in it. We're to walk in the light of the truth of God's word, to carry it out in our daily life, to behave according to what thus saith the Lord. Now look at these scriptures we have here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Here's someone who's in the church, the Corinthian church. Here's someone, I'm sure, who sat under good teaching, who knew the truth, knew the word of God. It's reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much as named among Gentiles that one should have his father's wife or stepmother. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that had done this deed might be taken away from among you for verily as absent in body and but present in spirit, I, he said, have judged already. As though I were present concerning him that had done so done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one to whom? Satan, for what reason? To destroy the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Notice, here's someone who may know the truth, but is someone who is not walking in the truth, who was approached, I'm sure, by others to tell him, you're not, this is not right to live this way. This is wrong what you're doing. You know, people can become callous to the truth, even though you may know the truth. And it doesn't impact us like it should impact us. When you're first saved, you're sensitive to all the word of God, to the truth that you're learning. But as time goes on, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, you, we could have our conscience seared as with a hot iron. And those things that we used to avoid, all of a sudden we don't avoid as much anymore. This guy gets to a place where he does such an awful thing that he did, and he has no conscience that he's doing anything wrong. Well, we see so much of that today in our society, don't we? Well, what is right is right, and what is wrong is wrong. In our society today, we're hearing exactly what uh, Isaiah prophesied. Woe to them that call right wrong, and wrong right, or good evil, evil, and evil good. Okay, this guy was wrong, and thank God he was turned over to the devil, and he repented, and he came back into the fold. And then he began walking in the truth. One thing to know it, another thing to walk in it. Look in the, uh, in the book of Romans, or I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 8, or chapter 5. Beginning at verse 8. You were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Aren't you glad for that? Walk as children of light. Notice the walk of the believer is how he behaves, how he conducts himself. Why? Because we don't want to give any place to the devil. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. So Paul is admonishing the people that have come to the light, and the entrance of his word gives what? Light. To do what? To walk in the light. Conduct yourself, behave yourself according to what the scriptures teach. So, the belt of truth. Everyone should have to tighten all the armor in his life is to know the truth and make a decision. I'm going to walk in the truth no matter what it means. Look at 14b. Righteousness. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. The, the breastplate covers the vital organs in a person's life. The Roman soldier had to protect his heart and vital organs from being attacked, of course, a spear, an arrow, or whatever. So he had on the breastplate 
of righteousness. And once again, righteousness is a twofold thing. The heart needs to be protected from the accusations that Satan hurls his way. From guilt, from condemnation, and the list goes on and on. But look in First uh, John chapter 2. Righteousness is both positional and practical. This is from ESV, which is the English Standard Version. It's positional, it's practical. There's a balance here. You know, we emphasize we're the righteousness of God in Christ. Aren't you glad for that? We sure are. That is a practical, that is a positional truth. But the practical side of it, of it is we walk out our righteousness. Look at what it says. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Notice, he who is righteous practices righteousness. So it's not just positional, it's practical. Something that we practice. When I was at school at Rama in Oklahoma, I worked at this place called Quick Trip. And I had to go to work. And when I went to work to relieve my buddy, got to talking, you know, witnessing and talking to him about the things of God. And we got to a place, which we always do, where we talk about conduct, character, attitude, behavior, and all that. And the fellow said to me, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I got to have vices in my life. I said, you do? I've got to have, yep, yep, I've got to have vices in my life. You know, I got I to gotta do the things that I like to do. I got to do the things that I want to do. So what was he saying? I want Jesus, but I don't want to do what he told me to do. I want salvation, but I don't want to live like I'm a saved person. I want to be able to cater to my flesh and also still, you know, know that I'm a child of God. But I'm not saying we could be perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect. But if you're a child of God, then we got to make a dedication to live out our righteousness and practice righteousness. And our flesh must be what? Crucified and not allowed to do its own thing. You know, your flesh, my flesh... Flesh doesn't want to serve God. We choose to serve God from within. It's up to us to make that decision to do what Paul did is to beat it up to make our flesh do the right thing. Why does it get quiet when you preach like that? All right, number, let's say, look at the Matthew 15, 18 through 20. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. Now remember, this Breastplate of righteousness protects the vital organs, the heart diligently. We're to protect our heart diligently because out of it flow the issues of life, right? Proverbs 4.23, protect the heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. Well, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from, forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts. False witnesses, blasphemies, these are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defile not a man. So in other words, what he's saying is, whatever we allow in is going to start coming out. Whatever we engage in is going to start coming out. It's up to us to see to it that we put in the ear gate, the eye gate, those things that are going to promote righteousness in our lives. And not by the lie of the enemy and think that you could just, like the one person where I was at a Bible bookstore and bought some materials 
And again, young, in my younger days of Christianity, and he basically said he had it, man, he had it nailed down. Just nailed down. Grace. I got a full revelation and understanding of what grace is all about. And I'm thanking God it just, just lifted up a big burden off my soul. And I said, what's that? He said, once you get saved, it's all by the grace of God. You have nothing to do with it. That means you can live like you want to live and do what you want to do because your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And that is the end of it all. And I'm so relieved now I can do whatever I want. He, he actually said, I could commit adultery if I want to commit. I can fornicate if I want to fornicate. Because you see, it's already forgiven. I said, really? Oh, you really got it nailed down, don't you? I, I sure do. I said, well, I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. That didn't go over too well. So I bought my book and left. That's not what the Bible teaches. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. To live sober, righteous, holy, godly in this present age that we're living in. And for some reason, I don't know why those verses are left out. But look at verse 15. Verse 15. The soldier's footwear. They were designer footwear. Did you know that? They really were. They weren't just your common everyday footwear. They were designers. They were made a certain way. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You see, we've got to have a base or a foundation for what we believe in. If not, it's easy to slip, to let these things slip by the wayside. Well, this Roman soldier had to have on these thick shoes that would prevent any piercing from beneath because the army would set up things out there in the battlefield so they would step on them and pierce their foot. You ever try to do a battle when you got a hole in your foot? Doesn't go over too well. And also there would be like spikes, almost like football spikes or baseball spikes or golf spikes or whatever. Why? To get a grip because sometimes the terrain is a hilly terrain. So unless they slip and fall, and of course they could easily get killed. So they would be certain that that these shoes that they were wearing were thick, soled, and also had these spikes at the bottom of it to make sure that they were secure. Well, look at Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Notice it's the gospel of peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our sure foundation. One of the first books I ever read also was by Billy Graham. You know what it was called? It was entitled Peace with God. Anybody remember that book? Peace with God. When I first got saved, there was joy unspeakable and full of glory. I was so excited about the things of God. I knew I was on my way to heaven shouting victory. I was excited about that. And to read that book to find out I've got peace with God. All the unrest in a person's life, all these things that are causing them to fret and worry of anxiety and fear and frustration and all that. Remedied by understanding the peace that we have with God. Oh, thank God, thank God. Don't fear those that can destroy just the body, he said. Fear, fear the one that can destroy your body and soul in hell. So thank God for the peace that we have. We've been reconciled to God, and that's my sure foundation. And praise God, I'm on my way to glory. But then secondly, it's also an understanding that we are ministers of reconciliation. And we are to share with others the gospel message. And you know when we do that, it impacts our lives as well. Look at Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful 
are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You realize every single one of us is a minister of reconciliation and we are to preach the gospel of peace and let people know they can have peace with God. They can have peace in their souls. They can have rest. Praise God. That's part of our sure foundation. Our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We're at peace with God and we're going to let other people know they can have peace with God as well. And you know what that does? I know it just upsets the enemy beyond words. About to pull his hair out if he has any. Because we're letting people know, look, it's real in me. I was lost, but I'm found, praise God. I was blind, but now I see. I thank God for the peace of God that I have that passes all understanding to keep my heart and my mind through Jesus Christ my Lord. And you can have it too, if you want it. It's up to you. 16, the shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith, where which you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil all the suggestive thoughts this is a battle that's in the mind all these pieces of armor are dealing with the way a person thinks about God and about himself this is our unshakable faith in the promises that God has made also the purchases by the blood of Jesus Christ everything that belongs to us praise God by faith we activate by faith we receive and remember when the Roman soldiers would gather together in a time of warfare, especially if they were to, let's say, come up into a castle somewhere or the walled city somewhere. And they're sitting up there and they're shooting their fiery arrows toward the people. These shields were big shields, almost like the size of a door. And they put those shields next to each other. And what they would do is wet the front of them. And when those fiery arrows would come, if they would land in one of the shields it would just quench it and put out the fire so that they wouldn't get burned he's talking to us about understanding our need to know that we can no matter what the enemy hurls our way quench every fiery dart because the word of God provides the word that we need to produce faith that will enable us to overcome every fiery dart he hurls our way so there is a word for every dart you can say every missile every arrow that he shoots our way we get a hold of what it says we embrace it we believe it we use it we declare it we decree it praise God and we protect ourselves now notice this it's also important to notice this when they were out there and the army's coming against them they put up those shields in some cases they would make a, a barrier all the way around themselves with these shields what does that tell us when you and I work together, when we stand shoulder to shoulder, when we use our faith, if one can chase a thousand, two can put 10,000 to flight. We need one another. We need each other to stand firm and strong against the onslaught of the enemy. There is power when we unify, when we join ourselves together. And so we need to use our faith to stand against the fiery darts, all the things he throws our way. And how do we do that? We cast down every thought Every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Let me ask you a question. How did Jesus overcome? What did he use? The word of God. He believed in the word of God. And you'll see that more in a moment. Notice in verse 17, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. This is having our head on right. Take the helmet of salvation. 
This helmet of salvation is the hope that we have of our salvation. You know, the Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, right? But also it says we're saved by hope. Now, was Paul confused because he wrote both statements? He wasn't confused. We have a blessed hope. We've been saved by grace through faith. We're born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb. But also, there's motivation for us to serve the Lord, to walk with God. And the enemy doesn't want us to know it. But look at John's Gospel, chapter 6. You will notice this. This is the helmet of salvation. This helps us keep our head on straight no matter what. Jesus said some things that were hard for the people to hear. When he said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. It was hard for these people to hear that. Many could not embrace it. And many walked away from him. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus to the twelve, will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. In other words, the helmet of salvation is thinking the right way. They could have been tempted just like the others to walk away. What do you mean eat your flesh and drink your blood? Do you realize how bad that was to make that kind of a statement? They don't eat, you don't drink blood. It's against what they believed. It's against what they were taught. You don't drink blood, strangle things. And even in the New Testament, don't eat things that are strangled. Because the blood's still in. So Jesus made that declaration. And they all, many of them left him. But when, they, when he asked them, you going to leave me too? I got my head on straight. I may not understand some things, but only you have the words of eternal life. I'm going to listen to what you do, what you say. I'm going to follow you doesn't matter what because only you have the words of eternal life and that is the right attitude to have look at first john chapter 3 verse 3 well, look back look, go to first corinthians first look at that one first first corinthians 15 here the apostle paul similar making a statement i protest your rejoicing which i have in christ jesus our lord i die daily if after the manner of men i have fought with beasts at ephesus what advantage it, it me if the dead rise not, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. What's Paul telling these people? Look, if you have no hope of salvation, if you have no hope of a resurrection, if you think there's no afterlife and there's, this is it when you die, Go ahead and eat, drink, and be merry, and get your fill of life while you live on the earth, if that is the end of it all. But I'm telling you, you have no revelation, you have no understanding of the unseen realm that's out there, and that you're an eternal spirit being, and you will live on forever. Beloved, we have a hope of salvation. We have a hope that one day we're going to be glorified. Look at 1 John 3 and verse 3. Why would Peter and others leave when he only had the words of eternal life? They didn't. They knew. And here Paul is saying, look, I fought with beasts at Ephesus because I have a hope of salvation. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. He said before this, you're the son, we're called the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he shall appear, we're going to be just like him. And everyone that has this hope in him purifies himself. Hope 
is a motivating force that motivates someone to say, I'm going to find out what the Word of God says, how I'm to live my life and conduct myself as I live in this world, and I am going to do what He's required of me, because I have a blessed hope that one day this body will be glorified, and I'm going to be just like Him. Look at Romans now. In Romans chapter 8, for we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. Wait a minute, Paul, I thought you said we're saved by faith. That's your spirit. Your spirit has been saved by faith. By grace are you saved through faith. But that's not the only part of you. Your mind's got to be renewed. Notice James said your soul needs saved as well, which is the renewing of the mind, correcting the way you're thinking. Okay, but here he says we're saved by hope. A hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, what is he yet hoped for? But if we hope that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. He's talking about the redemption of our body. The redemption of our body. The body's not glorified yet, but we have a blessed hope that one day the body that you are living in right now will be glorified and raised up, and we'll have a body just like his. And if you've got this hope, what does it motivate us to do? What is our motivation for being here tonight? Because we know, we know that we know the living God, and there is a heaven to gain, and there is a hell to shun, and there are rewards for those that faithfully serve the living God. And we give ourselves to him because we belong to him in spirit, in soul, and in body. He purchased us with the blood that Jesus shed upon Calvary's cross. And we have a life to live upon this earth to glorify God with. And that's why we live. And that's why we do the things that we do. And you know, when we're questions why, like, why do you believe in this and why do you believe in that? I've got an answer for the hope that is in me. I want to please my Savior. I want to please my Redeemer. I want to live the way he wants me to live. Whether it's my conduct, my character, my attitude, whatever it is, praise God, I know that one day I'm going to receive the reward of my labor. And so my labor is not in vain. But those that are out there that don't want to abide what the Word of God says, well, that's up to them, but one day they'll be judged for it. 17, and we'll close it here in a moment. The Word. Notice a part of this, of this armor that we have. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here, we, once again, we know the Word of God, and that's not enough. Knowing the Word of God is the Logos. I know the Word of God. Uh, remember, Jesus said, you shall know the truth. That's coming into an intimate place of knowledge. But you know, Logos is not enough. I know this says, thou shalt not steal, but do I steal? I know it says thou shalt not bear false witness, but do I bear false witness? Knowing it, the Logos is wonderful, but it's not all that's needed. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the word there is rhema. The rhema. In other words, the word that you apply to your life. We believe it, we know it, we apply it. I declare it, I decree it, I embrace it. The Word of God says to live this way. I'm going to live this way. As a matter of fact, look at these two verses together. This is Jesus in action. He shows us what it means 
that the word or, or the sword of the spirit is the word of God, is the rhema of God in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3 and Matthew 4, 4. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and he fed thee with manna which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that a man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord does man live. Let me ask you a question. You could ask a lot of people that are out there. How much do you know about this book? How much do you know about the Bible? And a lot of them will tell you not a whole lot. Isn't that something when our creator said, you don't live by bread alone. But if you ask them how many meals you had today, our breakfast, lunch, going for supper and snacks tonight. Think about it. But what about this book? I don't read it too much. Have we lost an understanding of the value and the importance of what's in the pages of this book, this holy book? Look at Matthew 4, 4. Jesus is now tempted by the devil, which is what we're talking about. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the last Adam, the second Adam. Jesus is in a position, think about it, either to fail or succeed where the first Adam failed. The devil comes along to tempt him in the wilderness. He's fasted 40 days, 40 nights. He is hungry. He answered and said, or the devil first of all said to him, if you be the son of God, turn these stones into bread to satisfy your hunger. He answered and said, it is written. How did the son of God deal with the forces of darkness, with the devil himself, with Satan himself who came against him to try to get him to succumb to his ways, his will. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3, and when he took that verse, he made it a rhema. It is written, the logos, but I'm telling you out of my mouth that a man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the living God. And what happened? He did it three times and the devil ran off. He has no answer for the word of God. Beloved, we need to rise up in faith and declare what the word says. And that's all there is to it. Finally, verse 18, we're talking about spiritual warfare. What are we going to use for spiritual warfare? It's the armor of God. And you know, when we're clothed with the armor of God, the devil only sees God, doesn't see you unless you lift up your, the, the top part of your helmet and he can see that it's you. Praying always with all prayer and supplication is part of the armor. In, in the spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Notice how important it is that we pray one for another. That we lift each up Lift up each other in prayer, especially when we know we're going through difficulties and circumstances and trials and all that. You say, but I don't know always what to pray. You know what? Oh, I'm telling you right now, I can just jump off this platform. No wonder he wants to give us a brand new tongue. Praying in other tongues is the most efficient and effective way. Apart from praying the word over someone, then you go beyond that and pray in the Holy Ghost. Ask the Holy Spirit to take hold together with you and help you pray certain things out. Join together with other people in the Spirit and pray these things out. It's an effective way to do what? Spiritual warfare and overcome the powers of darkness. 
In Luke 18 and verse 1, we are told men ought always to pray and faint not, or not to faint. Without prayer, we can faint. Jesus was in the garden, you know, at the rock, at, in the garden, in prayer. And he, he was to the point of, you know, praying out blood, sweating out blood in his prayer life. So God wants us to use all the weapons of our warfare that he has provided for us. And we've got to have an understanding of what they are and how to operate in them. And I'll be honest with you right now. I'm sure you've been the same, down the same path I have. Sometimes you don't get things to work for you like they should, like you think they should. What are you going to do? Give up and go somewhere else? You're going to go to another religion? Is that what you're going to do? You're going to run away from Jesus and say the word doesn't work because I tried it and it didn't work for me? Or what are you going to do? God, you're right. Help me. I humble myself before you. If the word says it, I believe it. That settles it. Whether I believe it or not, it settles it because you said it. But I'm going to do my best to continue on, praise God, because you have the words of eternal life. You have the words. You've got the equipping of the spirit that I need. I'm putting you first, praise God. I'm going to walk in the light of what your word says. And I, I believe you're going to change me, praise God. So let's all stand together before the Lord.